BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Monday, November 20th, 2023. Does the Israeli government really believe that the Old Testament guarantees Israel all the land from the river to the sea? Alistair Crook will analyze that and other mistakes of the Netanyahu government in just a moment. But first, this. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Lear Capital. You all know that I am a paid spokesperson for Lear Capital because it's the right thing to do because the government is regulating too much and printing too much money and reducing the value of everything you earn and everything you own. And the best hedge against this is gold and silver. That's what I've done. I know the folks at Lear. I trust the folks at Lear. I've worked with the folks at Lear. And I use their advice when it comes to my investing in gold and silver. You should do the same. Call them at 800-511-4620 or go to learjudgenap.com. You'll have a very nice conversation with a very knowledgeable person who will send you literature to read, which you can review with your spouse and your financial advisor. And then you can call them back and decide what you want to do. Why Lear? Lear has 25 years experience and thousands of five-star reviews and a 24-hour risk-free guarantee. And when you have this conversation with the Lear representative, you'll find out if you can qualify for a $15,000 gold bonus. So call Lear now, 800-511-4620 or learjudgenap.com. Uh, Good morning, Alistair. Welcome back to the show, uh, my dear friend. So the IDF told the whole world that it would discover the headquarters of Hamas underneath a hotel in Gaza and that uh, it would show on national television the uh, Hamas leaders coming out of the, the bowels of the hospital with their hands up, and it didn't happen. What went wrong? false intelligence, again, again. And um, your listeners on this um, channel would have been aware because I said before, um, a couple of weeks before, that Hamas were not under the hospital. (laughs) They were not there. I knew because they have these deep facilities underground and that uh, the facilities includes their own hospital. I mean, really deep, I'm talking about 70 meters, meters multiplied by three for feet, very deep down. 
underground and that's where they also have um, all their resources their storerooms and their armories and their mechanical um, structures for, for 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 digging so i knew they weren't under that but obviously they'd been fed in in, in intelligence to suggest that's where they were and this was the same game that i saw and i wrote about in 2006 um, Hezbollah was very clever. I know how they did it. Though there are a lot in uh, there are a lot of Filipinos in, in uh, Lebanon that work, and some of them work in the Hezbollah area of Dahi in, in Beirut. And they they told them all the information, and they'd been recruited by the Israelis, and so they fed this false information of where. Uh, Said Hassan Nasrallah and his command center was located in Dahia, and they bombed it flat. But there was no Hassan Nasrallah, there was no command center there. It was somewhere quite different. And the same and thing has largely happened here. They've been fed this intelligence. Obviously, Hamas has learned a thing from, from Hezbollah and is managing the intelligence very well. And as a result of this, premature babies had to be rushed in ambulances exactly. uh, to uh, Egypt and uh, hundreds of other uh, sick people whose illnesses had nothing to do with the Hamas-Israeli dispute uh, expired. Exactly. Died. Exactly. I mean, it's been and, terrible. And what does, this do, what does this do for the regional and worldwide uh, impression that the uh, Netanyahu government continues to uh, to make. Well, we see here a complete collapse of morality. I mean, we have to say that very clearly. I mean, this is just so. The whole thing has become a a a, a, a devastating uh, blow to to any form of morality, suggesting that it's okay for infants to die and children to die as part of this conflict. Um, we used to have some values, but they seem to have disappeared altogether. And really what it's doing, just to be very clear, is for you know 20 years or more, uh, America has practiced diplomacy in the Middle East, trying to bring people on side, the Abraham Accords and all these things. Uh, that's going down the plug hole. It's gone down the plug hole effectively. Um, the hatred now towards the West, Europe as well as America, is getting... I, I spoke to someone who'd been listening very carefully to the Arabic programs um, all night. And I said, what did it look like to him? And he said, oh, it's still there. It's still there. But it's turned ice cold, the hatred. It's turned ice cold. And that means people are wanting action, are going to take action. That was the view from uh, uh, just someone who followed all of these Arab channels. Does Prime Minister Netanyahu not realize the effect of overt cruelty repeated over and over again on international television and streaming devices will have on the animosity of the region toward Israel? Overt cruelty. You know, you have to be clear. This is not a, a glitch in the system. This is the point of the system, is to make it so intolerable uh, that they can. Uh, in, in the 1970s, in an interview 
um, with uh, an author who wrote a book about it, about um, Netanyahu. Netanyahu said, in the next war, in the next year, we will drive out all of these Arabs and we'll sort out the West Bank, we'll take the West Bank and we'll sort Jerusalem too. So, I mean, you know, this, is, this has been going on a long time. I've been following it now for 20, 23 years or so. Um, the, this change taking place towards the sense that Palestinians can be given these alternatives. And one of the cabinet ministers laid them out and said, basically, you know, it's either you become serfs and you submit to the great power of the Israeli military might, um, or, or you leave, or you're exterminated. You can choose. So, I mean, we, we are moving into a, a very different uh, psychology, consciousness in Israel. And increasingly around the world, there's obviously a reaction to that. And that reaction is now becoming one of, of a cold anger, which suggests that we're going to see this war lengthening and, and, and widening over this period. Well, if the war widens over the period, Alistair, that can only mean a two or even a three front war if uh, Hezbollah enters and if any of the other uh, uh, nation state militaries like Turkey uh, decides to enter. Has BB bitten off more than he can chew? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I don't think so. No, he sees this as a sort of uh, uh, an, ep an epic play, a great, if you like, metaphysical working out of history. And he sees it in, in these grand terms and one which will turn him into a hero for his people. And uh, at the beginning of this war, at the beginning of this war, um, <clears throat> Golant, the um, defense minister said, you know, we have to hit Hezbollah. We have to hit, we have to just take out Hezbollah now. And that was not agreed. And the cabinet came back to it two weekends ago and said, we need to lay, put a major blow on Hezbollah. And again, uh, there was some dissent and it hasn't happened. But the point of this is who's provoking who? In the Western press, you see, oh, Hezbollah and the um, Iraqis are provoking Israel and, and the West. Actually, in this case with Hezbollah, it is quite clearly Israel is provoking Hezbollah. They are actually now attacking, they attacked the town Nabatia, north of the Litani. That's about 60 kilometers into, into Lebanon. This isn't the border area where 
uh, Hezbollah has its forces from which it's firing rockets into Israel. I mean, this is a provocation designed to make uh, uh, Hezbollah react. And then the intent, of course, and this is what I call the sting of the scorpion, is to pull um, the United States slowly, slowly into a war against Hezbollah. And if um, Netanyahu's hope is materialized, against Iran, too. But I don't think the latter will happen. I can tell you why, but I don't think Iran will be involved in it. But I do think the escalation is going to come, first of all, against Hezbollah. And secondly, I think we will see American escalation in Iraq, because I see in your press in the United States a whole series of articles now in The Hill and in The Washington Post telling Biden to get tough with these militias that are attacking U.S. bases, that they said every time there have been three American operations against them as warnings to stop attacking bases, and the next day there are four more attacks, and so on. So there's a sort of crescendo of articles, not by accident, appearing, saying, you know, you have to mean it, you've got to be tough. The only thing these people understand is being tough. They've got to have their nose blooded. That's in the Hill today, I think. So and the, I Ameri mean, and the American right. public will say, what are we doing in Syria? What are we doing in Iraq? Don't tell me we're still in Afghanistan. I thought we were out of that mess. <laughs> Maybe, but they'll also say, you know, our boys, so many of them getting injured, 65 injured. I mean, next thing we know, they'll be killing them. And you know, I don't know, but there's definitely a move to sort of increase the price on, on the militias in, in Iraq. And then once you get there, you know, the next move is obvious because people say, well, if this doesn't stop them, then you have to send a message to Iran. And this won't happen because, and Biden won't tell the American public this, but I do know this very clearly, that if um, Iran is attacked by Israel or the United States, Israel will not exist beyond that because Iran has missiles in their silos all around its very large territory hidden. Each of them is a self-contained unit of forces and each of them can operate and still continue a war for two years, even if there's no contact with the central command. And why do I say I know that? Well, some years ago, uh, I was asked by Iran, I was negotiating on the nuclear thing, but I was asked by Iran to talk to Rumsfeld. He was uh, Secretary of State for Defense at that time and tell him what the Iranian would do in the case of, of an attack. Mm. And I went to the Pentagon. I passed him in the corridor, but I didn't speak directly, but I, I spoke to his office. And I said to him, listen, this is what you will face if you attack Iran. Now, I think some of them understood it, of course, but there were others said, oh, understand. Doesn't Iran understand that they're dealing with the greatest military power on earth whose military expenditure equals that of the entire rest of the world? So you have, there were two sort of re reactions to it. But uh, just to make clear to, to people listening on this, uh, Iran has divided itself into a whole series of, of units 
with their own self-contained plan for if there's an attack, able to fire rockets. They have very advanced precision rockets which can cover the whole of Israel. And it would be to attack, um, to attack Iran is what I call the pay, uh, red pill, the poison pill option, because mm. there would be no Israel after it. And um, Iran has made that very clear. I mean, this is nothing to do with nuclear weapons. I just want to make this, these are entirely conventional. So, you know, when everyone goes on and on about nuclear weapons in Iran, actually, because of one particularly strategic thinker in Iran, they changed it all and stopped relying on nuclear weapons and developed a completely new deterrence of, if you like, highly smart cruise missiles and swarm drones. And we saw the effects of those in Saudi Arabia a few years ago and elsewhere. And Iran has all of this and they're embedded and they're embedded in the cliffs of the Hormoz channel. So anything, anything that attacks Iran and Hormoz is shut, no more oil, 30%, 36% of the oil passes through this way. So it would be madness for America to do that. But therefore, mm. what I think um, Netanyahu is trying and attempting to do is to get um, the United States to deliver messages to Hezbollah, military messages from perhaps the ships that are sitting off the coast, just as happened in 83 uh, when an American warship um, fired uh, its big guns into uh, Lebanon, in Mount Lebanon. To why why the is the, Why is the IDF bombing 40 kilometers, about 25 miles, into Lebanon? Because, uh, I mean, it, on the right, and the new ethos in Israel is we want the greater Israel. And they say the, all our people who fled the northern territories that have fled the kibbutz in the north and the settlements there, they're not going to go back with Hezbollah just sitting over the fence grinning at them. Then they'll be too frightened after what happened on 7th of October. We have to move Hezbollah right back from the border beyond the Litani. Why do I keep saying Litani? Litani has been a goal of Israel for a long time because like the Golan, it is the source of water, which in the Middle East is always the most important strategic asset in the, in the region. So they want to take um, the south of Lebanon up to the river Latani, uh, at yes. least. And historically, that was, it depends which history you go to, but if right. you go far enough back, um, up to the Lebanon and parts of Egypt and parts of the rest of the Middle East were greater Israel. Is, is uh, the Netanyahu government messianic? Do they yes. believe that the Old Testament or the prophets in the Old Testament indicate that it's the will of God that Israel should occupy the from the uh, river to the sea? Uh, uh, many, even though they, they are secular. And Netanyahu, I mean, although he professes it, but he is basically deeply secular. But many of them do believe this, even secular, because they do believe, I mean, in these sort of key principles that, you know, that, that Israel 
is of the elect. They are God's chosen people. They do believe also that they're victims, the historic victims of the world. And they do believe that the combination of those two gives them right to do things as they feel necessary. Now, that is widely held even in a secular sense. But what we're talking about here is the sense that it is just not possible. Um, and this is certainly the view of one of the cabinet ministers called Smotrich. And he's put out this plan. And he says, we can't live together with the Palestinians. We see this. Their, their aspirations for a state and our aspirations for Israel on the land of Israel are incompatible. And let's stop kidding ourselves and let's stop trying to pretend reconciliation or a two-state solution is possible. Now, this is put in, 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 in sort of basic um, uh, geopolitical terms, not in religious terms, but the two mesh together completely. The so, messianic so, uh, and, this, and this sort of message from Smotrich. And it's getting right. wide, wide. I mean, this is widely happening. I mean, you know, people just sent me a video of school children, um, young children um, singing songs about, you know, death to all the Arabs in Gaza. I mean, it's really spreading quite, I mean, it's a horrible to see children being brought into this sort of um, ideology. But it is widely accepted now that the Gazans must either, you know, either go or be exterminated. I mean, that is a view that is that. I'm not saying all Israelis accept that. I'm certainly not saying people in the United States accept it. But is it a majority? Yes, and now we have 92% of Palestinians saying more or less the reciprocal. There's no question that we could live with these Israeli people. No question of a Palestinian state. So when when uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu says we will, when the war is over, provide security for Gaza, he's abandoned that. He he can't govern Gaza. He wants that to become part of Israel, and all the Gazans dead are gone. Is that a fair conclusion uh, oh, from what the IDF has been doing? No, it's absolutely right. I mean, you can see it. I mean, it doesn't take me to confirm it. I mean, you just have to see what's going on in Gaza. They are not exterminating Hamas. Hamas is secure underneath the, the, the ground. Um, but they're, they're killing children. They're attacking hospitals. Uh, this is uh, an attempt, and and uh, it was laid out by the IDF early on. They said, you know, already 1.7 million Palestinians living in Gaza have been made homeless, completely displaced. Now right. we are destroying all of the civilian uh, facilities, the hospitals, the schools. I mean, we only have to look at the videos to see this. They are destroying the hospitals, the schools, and everything else. And they say, and the idea of say, so what's there for them to come back to? How are they going to live? What are they going to do? No water, no bread, no schools, no hospitals, no facilities. So yes, it is a, a very, I mean, this is, a, this is the plan ultimately. And it's very dangerous for, for all of us, for the United States, for Europe, for, for, for the whole world, because, um, uh, unless um, this is stopped in Gaza very, very soon, this is going to widen uh, and it, it is going to 
I mean, it, it clearly it has all the potential to destroy the the West standing for anything, let alone you know a vision of morality or moral rights or human rights. It'll destroy point, this completely. At some point, someone in the Israeli government must be able to say to Netanyahu and Smotrich and the other extremists, how much death is enough? How much death is too much death? How much cruelty can can the world possibly tolerate? They think, as I say, they think that um, it, it doesn't matter because uh, the fact that there are still Palestinians uh, that won't accept to submit to overwhelming um, Israeli military force is a is a threat to Israel, is an existential threat to the Jewish people. And therefore, these have to be met with massive power and, and killed. And does that include uh, children and uh, women? Well, Smotrich says it does, exactly that. And Netanyahu is not alone, as I said. I mean, he said in the 70s, Yes, we're going to, if there's another war, we're going to try and get rid of all the Arabs, clear the West Bank, and we're going to sort out Jerusalem. And um, he, so he's a believer, even if he's a believer in a sort of, um, if you like, uh, uh, an instrumental way, rather than an, uh, as, a, as a very strong religious side. But his cabinet stand with him. There are two elements, two, two men who are sort of slightly more liberal in it, Eisenkot and Gantz, uh, but even they agree with this. And even Lapid, the, the leader of the opposition, said the other day, after all of this burning and killing that's taking place in the West Bank, and he said, uh, listen, uh, those people aren't settlers. Why do you call them settlers, armed settlers? This is biblical lands, after all. So, you know, it's not, it's not that it's just a few extremists and... What I'm trying to say, which is important to get across in Washington, really, in the sense is, you know, you're not going to change the dynamics of this just simply by doing regime change in Netanyahu. It's not going to. This is much deeper and more profound. Okay, you can get rid of Netanyahu, but it's not going to change things. What is the value of international law? Thou shalt not kill non-combatants intentionally if it is not enforced, and if there are no consequences to its blatant public violation by a state? Uh, well, I, the problem is at the United Nations. In order to do this, in order to stop it in this way, order to, to get, if you like, uh, an ICC resolution, you have to go to the Security Council on that. And at the moment, that it, it, it is not likely to happen. And if you want to have a resolution, it has to be mandatory. And in a mandatory resolution, it has to say exactly what authority, what power, what military forces will be used to bring about the mandate. Now, that happened twice. It, it, it happened in 242 and Resolution 338 after the 67 and the 73 war to tell Israel it had to leave the occupied territories. Mandatory resolutions, and they were ignored. They were never enforced. And so, um, and furthermore, US Congress will never allow them to be enforced, unfortunately, because that is just, it is what it is, the politics of, 
of, of the U.S. Congress. Alistair, always a pleasure, my dear friend, no matter what we're talking about, no matter how uh, troubling the times are in sight, but your, your analysis is so insightful, deeply and profoundly appreciated uh, by the audience uh, and by me. Uh, we, of course, have a great holiday in America this uh, Thursday, Thanksgiving Day. I know you wish all Americans a happy Thanksgiving. I do. I do wish you. I mean, I suppose it ought to be a little bit of a wake for those who 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 recall George the Third, because it was not a celebration for him or his God. <laughs> but anyway, words out of I, my, I wish you out of, out of my mouth. Do the do the British celebrate American Thanksgiving? You don't have to answer. <laughs> All the best, my dear friend. Great we'll time. see you next week. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so we have uh, Colonel Douglas McGregor, uh, Professor Jeffrey Sachs, Larry Johnson, and uh, Ray McGovern coming up. We're trying to get all of our regular guests to you, even though we have this shortened happy Thanksgiving week. And we're up to 237,000 subscribers. We should hit 240 by Thursday and easily hit 250 by Christmas. We'll see you later. Judge Napolitano for Judging Freedom. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should, too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.